As a family, we've gotten countless calls at almost all times of the day and night from someone struggling to unfortunately getting the call that someone's died by suicide. But now what? And we didn't have that now what? So to be that person's now what is beyond measure. Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset. This is a podcast that's all about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. In every episode, we go deep with engaging guests who provide tangible takeaways and a whole lot of joy along the way. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I enjoyed having them. Let's dive into today's show. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's show is a special one and one in which I get to have my better half, my partner in life, and my wife, Denise Sprung, chair of the Keith Milano Memorial Fund at AFSP. Not only is it special to have Denise as my guest on the show today, but it also would have been her brother Keith's 46th birthday, and it is also the last day of Mental Health Awareness Month 2023. We felt there would be no better way to honor Keith's memory, share his story, and the tremendous amount of positivity that has taken place since he has been gone. Taking care of and addressing your own personal mental health is a conversation that is being talked about today more than ever. When Keith struggled, the conversation was not as prevalent as it is now, and that made the struggle even more challenging for him. For those of you listening that knew Keith or those that simply know his story, please take some time today to remember your Keith stories. Tell a story about how he made you smile, how generous he was, the grin he displayed in every photo. Talk about his laugh or a story of any other Keith moment that brings you joy. For those that did not have the pleasure of knowing Keith, his story, or the goodness that has come from him being on this earth, hopefully today's show will shed light on who he was and the incredible impact he has had on others and the conversation about mental health. Listen in for some great takeaways about Keith's journey, his impact on his sister and entire family, as well as the world. Today, I have a special treat. I have my wife, my better half and partner in life, Denise Sprung with us today. Welcome to the show, Denise. Thank you for having me. So today is a special day. It is Keith's birthday, and it's also during Mental Health Awareness Month. So we thought it would be a great opportunity for us, or specifically Denise, to share Keith's story. So let's start out. There are people out there that know his story for sure, but let's share it with the greater audience. Can you tell us about Keith and his story? I think it's very powerful. Sure. So to start with, Keith was a brother and a son and actually took the most joy in being an uncle. Keith died by suicide at 27. He was one of those people who was diagnosed, went through a series of diagnoses, went through a series of medications, and did seek to find help that back in 2004, I'm I'm not really sure, was there. 
Okay. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about him as a person, not just his diagnosis, because I know he was known as a very, well, I saw it too. I mean, he was Superman in, at the Bordy Barn in the Hamptons. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about who he was before the diagnosis and his situation. Absolutely. He was the fun-loving person, the life of the party, the smile that everyone would see radiate. And there were so many people who, just as you said, after he passed away, came to us and talked about the fun stories, all the joy he brought them. Yes, the Superman costumes at the Bordy Barn and lots of other adventures that thankfully lots of people will carry with them throughout their lives. I mean, I still run into people who remember him and say, hey, wasn't he the guy that dressed up in <laughs> Superman? And I was like, yeah, you know, people have a hard time understanding that a person who was so outgoing, so funny, somebody who on the outside loved life, that he had these mental struggles. But I know we saw that on a day-to-day -day basis, that it was really a challenge for him. We absolutely did. And I do want to pause and say, because Keith passed away in 04, before social media was prominent, if there is anyone listening who has some of those pictures, they might actually be print pictures or have a story, please feel free to reach out to us. Every now and then on his birthday or on his anniversary of death, we do get photos that our family has never seen before. So by all means, we would welcome those. And they can't even be recreated anymore, at least the ones at the Bordy Barn, because it's no longer. So uh, <laughs> we definitely enjoy those. And the Bordy Barn or the former owners may enjoy seeing us post those as well, because they were also supporters of Keith over the years. So one of the things that I find interesting, and I know because you and I are together in this, it was very important to you that after losing him, that it was important to use his story to help others and share it. Why have you felt compelled to do that? I think that the reason I felt compelled from the day he passed away to be open and honest is Keith struggled sometimes more with the stigma associated with mental health. And I do want to pause and remind people that we're talking about 2000, 2001, certainly not what you see out there now. So he would often say to me, niece, no one believes I'm sick. So I remember sitting on our porch with you, Larry, the evening he passed away, promising to the night sky that he wouldn't go quietly. I will say, I had no idea what that meant or how I would make that happen. But the reason that I made that promise was if I could make a change or an impact so that one person didn't have to feel that way who struggled, then maybe it would make a difference. And it clearly has. I mean, I remember standing with him in our backyard planting some trees and him looking at me and saying, I'm running out of time. And I was like, what do you mean you're running out of time? He's like, I just feel like I'm running out of time. I feel like I have 104 fever every day. My body aches. And I was like, you look great, though. <laughs> you know, it was hard to understand that. And I think sharing his story has really helped others. And I think one of the things that we have encountered, or at least we encountered early on, 
on after his passing was there were a lot of people that had experienced similar things. They just weren't talking about it. We had people who came over and whispered to us, oh, my uncle died by suicide, but we talk about it. It's a car accident. And that was more common than most. So I think one of the reasons you wanted to share it was you didn't want to have to be that quiet person. You wanted to be able to share his story and make an opportunity or create an opportunity, I should say, where it was comfortable for others to talk about their situations and not whisper or cover it up by a uh, car accident or a heart attack or something like that. I think that's very true. I will also say that for people who know me, I don't actually know how to be quiet. So I think that part of telling Keith's story is really part of my truth because he used to come to me all the time. We would have conversations and sometimes he would say, Denise, you're better than my psychiatrist. So I'm not sure I would have known how to put the filter on anyway, but full disclosure, it never occurred to me to not tell his story. And the fact that almost two decades later, it's helped more people than than we can even count is amazing. But you are a thousand percent true. A ton of people would whisper to us, and I know you know this, my response would always be, I'm not whispering. Why are you? All right. So let's talk about what also came out of it, which is the Keith Milano Memorial Fund, which is at the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. What is the mission of the Keith Milano Memorial Fund? What's it all about? The initial mission and the mission that continues today is to raise awareness about mental health. We partner that with raising funds because it does take funds to make an impact. You have this fund set up at AFSP, or we have this fund set up at AFSP. What was the thought process around choosing to establish this fund first and foremost, and then having it support the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, or AFSP? So as I said earlier, I knew that I didn't want Keith to go quietly. I know enough to know it takes money to make an impact. And I also learned really early on in my career from an Annapolis grad who showed me this really great pie chart that pointed out that the vast majority of things in the world are all the things you don't know that you don't know. So you and I actually had conversations about what it takes to set up a 5013C and how difficult that would be. And it would take so much time off doing the work. So setting up a memorial fund allowed us to honor him keep his name alive, but not have to do the back end associated with. The American Foundation for Suicide Prevention was the largest voice in that space. And we were very lucky that within a couple of weeks of Keith's death, someone actually handed us a flyer for the local Out of the Darkness walk. And that really spoke to us. Yeah, I mean, I remember that going back to that first walk. We learned about it very quickly. We had a lot of people show up at the first walk. We raised a good deal of money. And as we learned and investigated more about AFSP, it just made sense. I mean, they were a leader in suicide prevention and research, in outreach, and it looked like they were number one. And to be able to align ourselves with them without the burden of a 501c3 and all the mechanics and all the admin and the oversight that needs to go along with that, it just seemed like a good fit, I think, for us. Absolutely. And I think that other folks out there who do want to honor 
those they've loved lost to various illnesses may want to think about memorial funds as a path because I think they don't realize all that goes into setting up a whole separate entity and duplicating efforts that are already out there. And I also do want to say that the team at the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention has been wonderful. They've embraced Keith's story. They support what we do. And thank you to serving on their board for 12 years and continuing to serve on their finance and investment committees. It's a great organization, and there's been a tremendous amount of growth that we've seen with them since we started working with them. They are probably almost 10 times, at least nine times the size in terms of their budget, in terms of staff, probably even a greater growth rate than that. So it's been impressive. At the same time, we hope one day they're put out of business. So it's a little bit of a dichotomy there. But obviously, we talked about raising these funds. We've raised a good deal of money. How have these funds from the Keith Milano Moral Fund been used? And how has the impact been measured over the years? So one of the very first programs that we funded is More Than Sad. It's a program designed for high school students. We've also re-released funds for the recreation of More Than Sad so it can be updated because, remember, we're talking about over a decade ago. Recently, we released a very large spend of money to help fund the Seize the Awkward campaign, which had initially been done with the Ad Council on social media to target teens with the hope of helping them engage their classmates or their friends or their teammates to seize that awkward moment and really have those conversations. I think so many people have a misunderstanding. They think if you ask someone if they're suicidal, you're going to give them that thought. And really, research shows the opposite. The other thing we have also funded is some very basic research grants, in this case linked to bipolar disorder, so that they'd be very specific to Keith. There have been some great, really across the board, some research-driven stuff, some programmatic stuff that's been used in schools and, and colleges, all the way up to the Seize the Awkward campaign, which as I was walking in the <laughs> office yesterday, I saw an advertisement for it on CNBC. So it's actually even grown beyond just social media, but that's really where the target is because it's really geared towards young folks, teenagers, et cetera. But it was still on CNBC, and it's really encouraging when you support a mission like that, and then you see the product on a major news channel, and it's supporting others and getting the word out. It really reinforces what you're doing and really makes you feel good about what you're doing. But I think also to your point, how far does that show we've come in almost two decades? Keith could look up and in his own mind, see no one who'd gotten better because no one talked about their mental health to now seeing celebrities, sports athletes, and then to put on CNBC and have a commercial play supported by the Ann Council. I think that that's huge progress. I agree. And following the pandemic, I think mental health and the conversation around it is probably more important and more talked about than ever. I think the pandemic and Robin Williams' death by suicide were probably the two biggest catalysts for the cause. Absolutely. So we've raised about $1.7 million plus in Keith's memory. How has that been done? That's not an insignificant amount of money. So first, I should say back to the making a promise one has no way or idea about how they're going to deliver. Sometimes the universe brings you what you need. 
Within a year of Keith's death, his employer, who he'd worked for for not really very long, EnviroTrack, had reached out asking if they could have a golf outing in his memory. And we not only said yes, but jumped in full support. Ran a golf outing for 10 years in his name, overlapping with that. And while the golf outing was still ongoing, I had an author in the romance community, Katie Ashley, reach out to me. And now we have to remember this was over a decade ago before you could just put a book up for free on Amazon. And she asked if she could donate the proceeds from her 99-cent novella to Keith's Fund in May for Mental Health Awareness Month. I, of course, said yes and then invited a couple of other authors to see if they'd like to join. Now, this May, as this goes live, this will be the 11th annual Mental Health Awareness Book Fundraiser benefiting the Keith Milano Memorial Fund. We have over 20 authors this year who will donate a portion of their May book sales to Keith's Fund. Yeah, I mean, that's been amazing. And I think it's been interesting how we've shifted from a standpoint of Keith's company, EnviroTrack, which was fantastic, the support of Joe and Ted from that company, and Marlene's dedication to making sure that that thing ran without a hitch was phenomenal. And I think everything aligned in terms of saying that we were going to bring that to an end. And I think that the book and the author with Katie and all the other authors coming in at around the same time was meant to be also because it really picked up where we left off. And my takeaway has been the author community has been absolutely fantastic in terms of supporting this mission and supporting mental health. And it's been so encouraging to see the number of authors come together and the amount of money that they have come to raise for the Keith Milano Memorial Fund has been fantastic. And I know I could speak for both of us. We're incredibly grateful for that. Absolutely. And some of the authors taking part this month actually have been there since the beginning. And some of them have referred some of their friends. Many of them were indie authors when they first started out having written maybe their first or second book. And the list now houses over a dozen New York Times bestsellers. And it's truly been humbling. Yeah. And I'll give myself a plug here. I have my book that just came out in April, which I'm going to be part of it. I've dedicated that all the proceeds from the book sales, the net proceeds, will be donated to the Keith Milano Memorial Fund. So if you check out Financial Planning Made Personal, you make that purchase, basically the net proceeds are going to go to a great organization and help support everything you're hearing about today. We're honored to have your book and your joy as part of the event, because the tagline on the front of the book is, what did you do today that brought you joy? So in addition to the money, and the money's important, right? Because that allows us to utilize it to help other things like the research, like the ad council and seize the awkward, like the more than sad that's being utilized in schools. That's important. But how have you also been able to help raise awareness and help lower the stigma surrounding mental health and suicide? Because that's really just as important. It absolutely is just as important. And sometimes, depending on the day and depending on who I just spoke to, I might find it more important. So you and I have both become a resource for the community because we've been out there telling Keith's story, 
sharing resources. As a family, we've gotten countless calls at almost all times of the day and night from someone struggling to unfortunately getting the call that someone's died by suicide. But now what? And we didn't have that now what? So to be that person's now what is beyond measure. And that people know that there is help has allowed us to save, I mean, I don't even know how many lives. The fact that people know it's okay to ask for help, that it's important to ask for help, and that it's okay, as I said before, to say to someone, are you thinking about hurting yourself? Those are all questions that I still think more work needs to be done, but the impact that we've made and that we've seen in our community, we are both a resource. Some days I don't have words for that. Yeah, I agree. I talk about it all the time when I'm guests on shows about mental health and they ask me a lot of questions and I share. Usually I'm on your side of the mic sharing <laughs> Keith's story uh, for the both of us. But I say it very often, the, the money's great and people are impressed by the money. People are impressed by the amount of money. And I guess it's impressive, but I'm more impressed by and more touched by the people that we've been able to help and the lives that we've been able to save along the way. I remember one in particular, a friend of mine from the community reached out, a cousin of his or a nephew was going through some troubling times, and we were able to guide him into what he should do and how he should do it. And a couple of years later, we checked in, I was with and his nephew was still alive and doing well and got through that period of time. And I think that it's stories like that and other people seeing stories like that that give them hope that they can get past it and get the help that they need to survive and get on the other side of it. And to me, that replaces any amount of money that we could ever raise by far. I absolutely agree. But I think that numbers make it tangible for people. So I know that once we were able to say we raised more than a million dollars, people sort of opened their eyes where, unfortunately, it's hard to put a number on someone's lives. And you and I can no longer count the number of families we've touched. So I think the balance of both is what helps drive the impact forward. I agree. And one thing that you've touched on throughout our conversation today is that the conversations change, right? We talk about where we were in 2004 as a country, as a world, talking about mental health and suicide and where we are today. And and they're vastly different. In your view, how have you seen the conversation around mental health change since Keith's passing? What have been the major changes you've noticed? Well, as we talked about a little bit before, I think one of the things is really the number of people you see who are willing to share their stories, whether it's celebrities or athletes or business people who talk about going to therapy and using their therapist. Keith didn't have that. He really said to me more times than I can remember, no one gets better. He was in that dark place and didn't see anyone on the other side of that. Because people were hiding the other side of that or having been in that dark place. So I think the conversation has moved forward tremendously from then. It really wasn't even a conversation before. I've told this story countless times, and it's probably a good one to help those listening to this who don't know what it was like in the early 2000s. When I found out Keith passed away, you actually had to tell me. I went and I sat on our front lawn. And... I ran into our neighbor, and I told her what happened, that my brother died by suicide. 
And then later that week, we told her when his funeral would be. And the next week when I saw her, she said, well, I didn't tell people about the funeral because I didn't know what you were going to say. And I remember looking at her and saying, Josie, I don't even understand what you mean. But that was very much of the mindset back then. So I think that it's important to remind people who are living in a time where so many people are being open to try to remember what it was like back then. And I don't question many of the things around Keith's darkest days. As a family, we were there for him. He went, he sought help. I don't question that. The only time I do find myself questioning that, and I know you and I have had these conversations, is would today's environment have changed the outcome? And I think that it might have. And that's why we continue to tell the story. I agree. I think that's the only thing that I ever think about is if he were here today struggling, how that would be different. Because back then, you really didn't hear anybody talking about it. Now you hear a lot of people talking about it. And you have people, whether you admire them or not, or whether you think they should be admired or not, that's up to you as a person. But there are some people that are looked up to that have come out and had these conversations, which I think are meaningful. and may have changed the way things were. But I mean, listen, it was what it was back then, and it is what it is now. And And the hope is that we've been part of that change by sharing his story and his struggle. I think I want to add that it wasn't just Keith. I remember you looking at me pretty quickly after he passed away and saying, I didn't understand people could die by being bipolar. So I think that the lack and the depth of knowledge isn't just for the person who was sick. Sometimes it was those closest to them. The impact in terms of the understanding that mental health is a deadly disease, that it is something you can die from. And those listening, if you've heard my terminology, Larry and I have said died by suicide, died by bipolar disorder. Keith had a disease of the brain. And I think that some of that is starting to change how people look at the illness, but there's still work to be done. So, I mean, we talked about how we've seen the conversation change over the last almost 20 years, 19 years or so. How do you think the conversation is going to change going forward? Where do you think we'll be 5, 10, 15 years from now? How do you see that evolving? That's an interesting question and not one I'm sure I have the answer to, except what I will say is that I think we still lack a fundamental understanding of the brain. We still lack a fundamental lack of understanding about what specifically the chemical imbalance is. Diabetics can test their insulin level and get a fairly good idea of how they have to regulate that. People with depression or bipolar disorder, specifically those who are chronic depressed or have, again, bipolar disorder or even schizophrenics, it's still very much throw a medication, wait six to eight weeks, see if it works. I think that in order to continue to move the conversation forward, we need to get a better understanding of fundamentally how the brain works. And I think we're probably decades behind than we are in, say, cancer research or cardiovascular disease. So do you think we're going to have some of those methodologies in place in the next 10 years or no? I have no idea. No? You don't have a crystal ball? No, I wish I did. All right. Well, I think obviously things are changing and they've changed quite a bit over the last 19 years. I think they're going to continue to evolve very quickly too. Hopefully some of what we've experienced over the last three or four years will 
cause people to expedite some of the research that's taking place. I think one of the areas that I learned while I was sitting on the board was that there wasn't a lot of draw to research and new researchers and fresh ideas to this space because of the complexity, lack of funding, et cetera. But hope is by opening up the conversation a little bit on a more broad and greater level, having more resources available, having organizations like AFSP that are allocating additional monies each year to research will help bring in those researchers and make it their lives work to hopefully figure out and identify some of those things that would be helpful. Well, listen, it's been great having you on the show and sharing this time with you and sharing Keith's story. And we're going to end this show the same way we end every show, which is we're going to ask you the same question, which is what did you do today that brought you joy and put you in the right mindset for success? Okay, so I don't mean to sound trite, but the fact that I actually am answering that question brings me joy because it was super fun to help you write it some time ago. And although I talk about Keith a lot, although people reach out to me because of his story, I really haven't put that all together. And that really crystallized for me when you asked me the first question, and then you had to re-prompt me to talk more about him. So it really brought me joy to remember who he was as a person. And the hope is the joy from this episode will continue as people use his story to continue to make an impact. That's great. I love it. I love it. So listen, today is the last day of Mental Health Awareness Month. If you want to support AFSP, the Keith Milano Memorial Fund, we're going to have a link in the show notes. Feel free to make a donation. You could do that right at the website. We'd appreciate your generosity there. And obviously, if you are in need or need any resources, feel free to reach out to us. Obviously, if you are in crisis, contact 988. That's your best place immediately. But if you're not in crisis or you know a family member that you just need some guidance in or for, feel free to reach out to us. We'd be happy to help. And we're going to have all of this information for you in the show notes and make it a great day. I want to thank Denise Sprung, my wife, for being a guest on the Midland Money Mindset. Keith's story is unique to him, but at the same time, many families have a Keith. Denise's courage in sharing his story and the joy he brought to her life is extremely admirable. The amazing part is that when we set out on the journey to share his story, we never could imagine the impact that we would have had. From the tremendous financial success in raising funds for this great cause, to the friendships we've made, the stories shared, and most importantly, the lives we have helped save. It has been an incredible journey. We truly appreciate and are grateful for all those that have helped and contributed, whether small or large, along the way. We thank you. Denise and the Keith Milano Memorial Fund and the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention can be found across most social media platforms, and all the contact information needed to find them can be found in the show notes. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. Make sure you visit our website at midlandmoneymindset.com and smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. 
We encourage you to help others find our valuable content and please don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. And be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy ensures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Guests on the Midland Money Mindset Show are not affiliated with CWM LLC.